All right, I think it's going. Okay. Hi, All Sarah. Right. Hi, Julian. Um, I knowing how to start these recording things is always <laughs> weird and awkward. So really, really awkward. I know. I've I've hesitated um, for a long time just making myself do it because I tend to I tend to worry about I don't know that I'm just gonna say something stupid and because a lot of go ahead it changes the dynamic of the conversation a bit because you're all focused on saying something intelligent instead of sort of right getting in the flow of the conversation I've noticed that and you have to deal with dead space too it's like if there's dead space you can't I don't know. People are people are gonna tune out really fast. It's not like in a normal conversation where you're sitting around and you can just go, you know, go grab a cup of coffee and come back and gather your thoughts. It's like you have to be producing something. So that uh -huh. makes me a bit a bit nervous. <laughs> but I also know that I want to get better at being able being able to, you know, get my thoughts out there um, in a more concise way. So I'm like, okay, I just need to make myself do it and get over the the awkwardness of it so here we are <laughs> <laughs> trying to fill up those dead spaces together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um one interesting thing about you uh i was talking to luke about his um oh this is a while back maybe yeah I was talking to luke about his um sort of critiques of modernity and you know um the environmental disasters we've caused, the sort of technological acceleration, the scientific view of the world and how um, that's sort of abstracted us from reality, I would say. And one thing I think he said this about you is you and your husband are actually um, trying some alternative farming techniques. Um, yeah. And that would, I'd be interested to hear more about that. Um, yeah, I really admire people who are trying something different. Yeah, it's interesting because I did not grow up a farmer at all. I mean, I grew up pretty much a city kid. It was a smaller town in Texas. And my mother grew up in a ranching community. So it's not like I wasn't familiar with that sort of lifestyle to a certain degree. But I had never, I mean, I had never experienced it. I was always, we always spent a lot of time outdoors. Like we 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 went fishing a lot and I spent a lot of my childhood just playing in the mud. So it was like, I had this connection, a connection with nature, but that versus large scale agriculture up here in the Midwest is a totally, totally different thing. So it was a bit of a culture shock for me um, coming to this environment and getting used to how, I don't know, like this, the, the farming methods that are, are in the mid Midwest and I'm not sure how they are up in your area. Um, but I know there are, there's, I mean, I told you there's a Hutterite colony just right down the road from us and they, they do very similar farming to the way yeah. we do it. It's very large scale. And, um, I think, you know, when, when the, when the, uh, immigrants first came to this area, they all had their little section of land. Um, but as, as technology progressed, as I don't know, time went, time went on, it was like, you had to either. I mean, a lot of these farmers went out of business and sold their land to the neighboring farmers. So now it's in this area, it's like, we're, we're pretty isolated. I mean, we have, I mean, I think we, we farm about 5,500 acres in this, in this area. And most people around here have, you know, at least, at least two or 3,000 acres. 
Um, so it's, it's not, <laughs> it's a lot different than, than it used to be for sure. It's like the whole idea of being a rural, um, community where everyone knows their neighbor and, uh, that sort of thing. It's not that this just doesn't have that feel here. Now there is, there is some element of that in, if you're really, I mean, like Josh, my husband would have more of it because they go to the same, um, I don't know, like, um, dealerships. Yeah. Yeah. So they cross paths a lot. But as far as me being the wife and being on the farm, like I, I have not connected with people in that way much. Mm. And maybe that's, you know, how much of that is my fault? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a super extroverted go out there and, and meet people kind of person. But um, that was probably the biggest challenge to to moving up to this area is that I just felt like people really kept to themselves and weren't really interested in getting to know an outsider. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of was kind of my introduction to the whole farming realm up here. And it, it kind of initially was off putting. I was like, well, this doesn't seem like the way I want to live my life. You know, like I, <laughs> I've got to, I have to be able to find some uh, community and, and connect with people. And I want to, I want to know my neighbors, but um, I don't, I think a lot of it too. And my, my family up here would admit this. It's they're, they're the Scandinavian German types, you know, so they're, they're more, more closed off emotionally. And I come from a very emotionally <laughs> expressive family. <laughs> So that was also a bit of a, a shock and and um, a challenge. Um, so yeah, so I was again like the whole farming thing was never something that I really cared to. I don't know. I just didn't want to get involved in it. It was like my my interaction with nature had been very intimate, very personal, um, very interactive, and it just it always felt like to me that it was it was all. Um, it felt more industrial. I get it. More, yeah. And more like, a se- you know, like the separation, like you put layers of technology in between yourself and, and the land and, and it just doesn't have that. It just doesn't have the same feel. And yet at the same time, if you ask my husband, he would say that he does have that connection with the land and with the, the mm. farm and, and whatnot. Um, because it's a, I mean, it's a fifth generation farm, like his, you know, his ancestors came over from, from Germany and Norway and all those places and settled this land, literally. So he has that tie, I think that tie that goes back. And, you know, it's the same land that his parents lived on and his grandparents, his great grandparents, I mean, right here on this, this homestead. Um, but again, like me being the way that I was I struggled to connect with that. Um, as we, as we, you know, went along in our marriage, this opportunity came for us to um, purchase a farm in Africa, in Mozambique. Mm. <clears throat> and I have always been a very adventurous person. My husband actually is as well. Um, and we're like, you know, what are we living this life for? We could build this nice, you know, put all of our money into a nice house and whatnot. But that, you know, we're, we're more concerned about having experiences and I think that's that's a very kind of millennial <laughs> way of thinking <laughs> anyway, you know? Yeah. I mean, like our parents, they wanted to be secure and they wanted to have, you know, and, and we are in some ways because we've invested in the land and, and things, but um, like we'd rather drive old cars and spend the money traveling, that, that sort of thing. Um, so that was a way for us to, and, and well, okay, backing up a bit. 
So, so we went over to Mozambique trying to um, do the same type of farming that we did here. Now, obviously it's Africa, so it's not gonna be the same. And it brought things down to a level that I felt more connected to because it was like, okay, we're actually kind of getting our hands in the dirt and the technology is necessarily less because you're there and you have to be able to fix things with your hands. Um, and so that kind of started a process of, of um, figuring out like how to be sustainable in, in a country where your resources are, are limited. Um, you know, the, the support that you have is not right down the road. Um, and also realizing that the climate just wasn't actually wasn't suited for doing doing the kind of farming that we do here. And I, I was like excited about that because I was like, I, I don't connect to the giant fields of corn and soybeans in the same way that my husband does. And I and there was part of me that really wanted to be involved in that. You know, I want to be involved in what he's doing. And and I will say that I've I've grown in that in that area over the years and I've found ways to connect with it over the years. Mm. Um, but again, like just the way, I, and I think God made us with different personalities for a reason and different motivations. And um, I, I think my husband and I are different for, for good, for good reasons and complement each other well. Um, so all I have to say, it's like, um, I felt, I told my husband, I said, I feel more connected to the farm in, in Mozambique than I do to the farm here, even though we're living on it. Because it was like, I was coming in as this outsider um, there are different, definitely ways that everyone does things and you really, it's hard to question the way things are done. It's like, well, that's the way we do them. That's why we've been doing them. And why would you do it any differently? And I'm one to try and ask questions and that makes people uncomfortable. So, so I just, yep. I, yep. I haven't done that much. <laughs> um, so all of that really has led to us coming to um, a place where um, I think I've pushed my husband to kind of figure out, okay, to start to question things and to, and to, to be curious and to be um, innovative, not so innovative that it just throws everything off the rails, but I think it's a, a, like one little step at a time. And, you know, I, I, I have this, this tension between, wanting to be nostalgic and hold to like um, tradition and things that have come from the past and also wanting to push ahead. And, uh, and some, but I think sometimes pushing ahead is actually going back to the past. And so it's yeah. like, so it's like, what are the methods that we've lost from early farming that we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater that perhaps were things that we're seeing consequences of now with like soil erosion and, um, I don't know. I mean, who knows how it really applies to things like climate change, whatever you want to think about that, you know? And, um, but then deeper than that, it's like, how is, how is the land and our interaction with it changing and forming us spiritually? And how, how, how does it all relate to, you know, our lives as Christians? So I, you know, I want to bring all of these, I'm, I want to bring all of these pieces together and, and integrate them because to me, if you can, if you can fit it all together, it, it has more meaning. And like, it just, it makes you, it makes you see things in ways that you wouldn't be able to see if, if you didn't put all the connections together. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I definitely get what you're saying. <laughs> um, I mean, you mentioned like uh, how the red colony near you is uh, all into these modern farming techniques, and mm -hmm. that's probably true across the board. Yeah. Um, probably in many ways we are ahead of the game technologically because we just have more resources, um, more people, so we're able to afford the, the latest and the greatest. And mm -hmm. like you'll have colonies who will do things like um they'll they'll sort they'll just um you know buy their the, the newest combines or whatever then trade them in the next year just to get the new ones and yeah yeah and there's a there's a part of me that there's a really big part of me that just um revolts against that in a major way um where I, I really feel attracted to something like what Wendell Berry is up to. Yeah. <laughs> and, I and just my, started tapping into that and I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and my sort of utopian dream would be um, just this, this community life that's, that's really simple and down in the dirt and um, not so like you said removed from the land with you know with these tractors and air-conditioned cabs and all the rest um yep. like I, i've noticed in myself um for example so i work in uh, manufacturing i guess um and even that where you're literally working with your hands there's just this uh, you just don't feel the same connection you do as when you're literally working outside, getting your hands dirty, um, you know, working in the garden, picking peas and the, the hot sun on your back, um, people around you and you're talking to them and um, your bare feet are getting dirty and your pants are way too messy to bring into the house and um, your bucket is getting heavy in your hand. These types of things um, where there's this, this connection to reality i guess yeah um, and i you just don't get the same sense when you're um uh, when everything gets so big and, and so abstracted and so far away <laughs> um so I, I definitely get the sense from that angle um another question i would have is um like could both of us become comfortable with the way things are and, and sort of find our place within it, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, sort of get this sense of reality and community yep. within this more um, tech, tech, technologized, um, abstracted, large-scale thing. It's a good uh, question. <laughs> because I see people around me who, who manage to put it off because they're um, – they're involved in it. They find it meaningful. They, um, they, you know, I mean, most people in my community, they find it, they find their work meaningful. They mm -hmm. um, don't really have a problem with the way we're doing things. Um, so it could be sort of just my critical element that's, that's um, removing myself from that. Um, yeah, what do you think of that? Yeah, I would say that's something I've really, I've wrestled with over the past, well, probably 12 years of our marriage, 
And I would say my husband does find that satisfaction with his work. Like he hasn't, he hasn't gone through a meaning crisis, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like he, he doesn't have that problem because he feels like he's doing something that is worthwhile and that's productive and that is, you know, beneficial to the community and the world. And not everyone has that. I think it's pretty rare. Um, and he also loves what he does and he really enjoys it. Um, so a lot of times I feel like I'm just, I've just been the killjoy, like not being the one that's able to just get over myself and integrate. Um, actually, well, I just, just to kind of uh, talking about the, like the close well, to the earth. Can I tie something in? I yeah. mean, I was, I was struck by this comment in, Paul was talking to Chris, um, this Chris guy from the Reveki project. Um, mm. and he actually said, you know, the more he's been engaged in Verveki's project, the more, um, the, the more he's come into a sort of meaning crisis, the more the meaning crisis has become really relevant for him. Mm. Um, and there's different ways of thinking about that. Like one way of thinking about it would be, um, you're just not aware that you're in despair or you're not just not aware that you're having a meaning crisis. It's there underneath. Um, but because you're not self-reflective, you're not noticing it mm-hmm. in a way. Um, or because you're so distracted. Yeah. You're so distracted is one. Way, yeah. Um, and I think that there's a lot of truth in that where, yeah, well, I mean, one way of thinking about it is just uh, um, this probably this obviously doesn't apply to your husband or the people in my community, but you know the um, sort of hedonist person who's just um, running from one sensual pleasure to the to the next. There's there's a despair lurking underneath that. Right. Right. But yeah. But I also, yeah, there's layers to this. Mm. And um, I often also think of his notion of the kingdom of God is within you. And I think I've said this to you. It's it's sort of being content and at peace with wherever you're at. Uh, yeah. And, and the, the outside doesn't necessarily have to reflect the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tough place to be. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I tend to, I tend to idealize the foreign, and like I don't know if you've seen the Peugeot video. I don't remember which one it is. There's one in particular. Gosh, I don't remember now. But anyway, he maybe it's one the alien one or something. But anyway, he talks about how we project our idealizations and our basically our our passions or sin nature onto. We, we can do both to the outside and that can happen like idealizing the past. It can be, um, or demonizing the past, idealizing, idealizing the future. Um, this whole progressive mindset of like, we're, we're advancing. So mm-hmm. we're bet, you know, so it's, you know, the, the future is the, is the idealization. Um, but it can also happen in space. Like you can idealize the foreigner or the outsider. You can say, Oh, those people in such and such country, they know, you know, they do it right. They do everything they do everything well, or you can also demonize, you know, those people in such and such country, they're, you know, they're, they're the worst. And, (laughs) 
And it's like this projection that doesn't add up to, to reality. And I think I tend to have tended to, like you were saying, um, think that the thing I need is out there versus inside. And I think that's, that's really what this whole journey has been for me in the past year and a half and finding Peterson and Peugeot is just really making myself find that thing and find that element of, um, well, honestly, it's, I mean, it's finding Christ within your heart, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's the cliche <laughs> thing we were told as kids. I mean, it, the evangelicals it, were right. Yeah, yeah I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's always so humbling to me when I totally disregard statements like that. And then they come back and I'm like, huh? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, I think we, we have lost the meaning of those words. You know, I mean, that mm -hmm. phrase, that phrase didn't mean anything to me until I went through an experience that, that, and it was, you know, kind of a long-term <laughs> over several years experience of realizing that and made it, made it a real thing have made those words have, have meaning. And I'm sure you understand that. So. <laughs> yeah, totally yeah there's there's definitely a connection between um the meaning crisis yeah i know we're sort of questioning if such a thing exists mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and the sort of over reflective um or, or even it's even connected to just overthinking of course and um over over rationalizing um which makes sense because you know, Verbeke's whole thing is that it's sort of connected to the modern world. Um, and I, and also I think um, this, this constant criticism of, of the status quo, which is something I do myself, I, I do a lot of myself, um, sort of alienates yourself from it. Mm -hmm. um, right. So it's just that, that we've become so self-critical and so so critical of our society that um, it sort of doesn't leave a place for us in it, in a way. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep, definitely. Well, and just tying that to like the, the type of, say, farming that we were talking about, like getting your hands dirty, feeling that connection. Um, I think people really idealize that too because <laughs> if oh, you yeah. look if you look at say we've done a lot of traveling in third world and the most of the people around the area where our farm is they are subsistence farmers and they don't even have pack animals i mean they have a hoe i mean and this is like they they spend their entire days just trying to get water and grow mm -hmm. enough crops to make it through to the next year and <laughs> and you can you can say oh well that's great <laughs> <laughs> but they don't think it's great you know they would much rather be sitting in an air-conditioned job in the city like if you gave them that option they would be there in in a second so it's like we're we're, we're saying all oh, these things are so wonderful if only we could all grow our own food and get our hands dirty well maybe but there's a lot that comes with that i mean we've we've we figured out how when you know you start to want to do things more naturally um i mean like nature isn't necessarily cooperative 
you know, it <laughs> like mm -hmm. it wants it, it wants to do its own thing. And so I think this the balance is like it's approaching nature with that spirit of finesse. It's like, okay, so how can we how can we integrate and how can we kind of give and take and how can we love creation in such that it wants to return the favor and and so anyway all that to say there's this project we're doing in Mozambique has turned into what's called permaculture or agroforestry which is it's using a lot of permanent things like trees that really contribute to the environment and it's planted like the trees are intermixed like different species of trees are all within like together and then there's crops that are planted in between to basically replicate a like a forest a, a natural ecosystem but with with plants that are productive and edible. So it's a really neat way, I think, to integrate like technology because we're using technology like drone technology to map out the topography of the land to figure out like where the water is and where the right places to put the trees are. And, and mm -hmm. also technology connecting us with this, say the guy that's working with us is in Holland and he's flying back and forth on an airplane to help this project. you know i mean like there's so much of this that that is is only able to be done in this way because of technology so i think you know it's it is wrong to demonize technology because we use it and i don't want to be without it you know i i if i get sick i want to you know i probably want a modern doctor to do surgery on me mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to go to the doctor in Quran, mozambique no thanks like yeah i definitely you know. have a big anti-technology <laughs> strain inside of me mm -hmm. um yeah I've, I've experimented with things like getting rid of my smartphone um yeah. which sort of worked it sort of didn't i ended up mm -hmm. getting back to my smartphone yeah. because of the discord um, but, yeah it, yeah the bloody discord <laughs> um where was it gonna go with this um two yeah, two things I wanted to say. Um, I guess, yeah, I mean, of course, this whole thing about um, sort of idealizing this this way of farming is one thing, but um, yeah. there's obviously at the same time the fact that um, like this, the way modern farming sort of, huh, yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. <laughs> this is me trying to integrate, Julian. <laughs> it's a struggle. <laughs> but then there are people who will say, like, um, you know, modern farming isn't that bad on the environment. Um, I don't know. I yeah, I mean, it really depends on what you're reading and what your biases are. I think. I mean, I've seen, I've seen quality information supporting a lot of different sides of things um mm -hmm. to me it just feels like i don't know you'd sort of emphasize the spiritual aspect of it yes that's the easiest one to emphasize i guess it me. is it is but at the same time i think methods matter and i think i think the way we interact with the environment is important like i i actually think it's really important um yeah i have my ethical views on it as well yeah exactly and and that's so hard because that stuff can get so tied up in like the sjw stuff i feel like it, it's a it's something that is easily easily triggers one side or the other you know i'm so so frustrated by the 
the lack of nuance in mm -hmm. talking about SJW stuff. Yeah. Because here's a good example. Um, industrial farming, not, not no, industrial, not industrial farming. What's the other one? Um, industrial, um, you know, when you, when you have sort of pigs in cages mm, or, yeah. Uh, yeah, just this whole sort of treating animals like machines and efficiency and, um, like, I, I don't need to be an SJW to say there's, it's clearly unethical to treat animals like machines because animals are animals. And I have, a, I've developed this, what I think is a good way of putting it, which we should treat animals like animals, right? We don't need, it's that simple. We're, we've, we've stopped treating, anim, treating animals like animals. Mm -hmm. And the problem is when you're, when you're within a sort of conservative farming community, people get really triggered by, oh, the, the social justice warriors are um, trying to challenge the way we farm and trying to take away our profits. And you, I totally get why they would feel that way because they're embedded in this way of life and um, it just feels like a threat. So uh -huh, uh -huh. they want to go all reactionary, but in that sort of setting, it's impossible to have a nuanced conversation and say, okay, you know, maybe they're onto something. Maybe, maybe we should be treating the animals better. Maybe we should be thinking more about sustainable practices, but it's either you, it's either you're a social justice warrior or you embrace the whole industrial farming thing. Yep. Yep. And, yeah, and I, I think that's where we are trying to push a path you know, walk on a path that, that is trying to mediate between the two sides. Um, I don't know how, we're, how well we're doing it yet, but um, just with the, the, our personalities, I think we, it's inevitable that we have to kind of, we, we have to take that middle road. Um, and I also think, I don't know, there's something about, okay, so I mentioned, you know, the subsistence farmers in Mozambique. Um, it's almost like, growing up into an adult or I would I would say maybe even relates to like the Owen Barfield's final participation in this way it's like okay the people who had to subsistence farm maybe perhaps don't see the benefits of what they're doing it's like a child right. a child right um then you grow up and you say you you got a job in the city you left all that behind you um and you think that it doesn't have much value and that's, you know, your, maybe your mm -hmm. adolescent years. And that perhaps is what, it, what would it be in like the Barfieldian terms? Um, anyway, just that, that path beyond original participation, I guess would, would be that segment. And, but then once you get past that, then you can, it's like you have this higher view of it all and you can say, Oh, I see those things that were really valuable and now i'm going to choose to go back to that and yeah. it's it's like and then it's embedded with even with with like the the depth of meaning that is possible for it to have um yeah 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 this is like um you talking in the in your first conversation with paul about how you're sort of this foreigner um uh -huh. and uh yeah i definitely get that with especially my upbringing in a hot ride community where yep. 
you sort of grow up and you're completely naive about how strange and unique your your lifestyle is. And yeah. then you get into your teens and you start to realize, you know, there's this whole other world where people have have much more freedom and people have um have a, a much more you know, there there's a lot of stuff out there that's that's not a part of the hot right way of life and um you sort of get seduc- seduced by that and um you're sort of attracted to this sort of hedonistic um sex and money and big cars part of life and then you sort of get past that and you sort of have this outside perspective and you sort of start to see the beauty of the whole thing where it's like the community the mm-hmm. um the solidarity the the connection with nature the um you know just the the, the fact that people in the community don't have to worry about um pretty much anything like everything is provided that whole aspect the mm-hmm. um the way um uh, your the way my christianity sort of suffuses my whole life like there's no um church and sunday type of deal it's like everything i do is sort of part of this story mm-hmm. and sort of seeing these things and then at the same time i have this critical perspective where i'm like okay i see problems here there's um, still real people <laughs> the, yeah the, the whole system like i see, i see problems so there's like uh, there's this sort of re-embedding with this critical distance so um yeah i i wonder if if there will be sort of a new generation of hutterites who are like mm. um they sort of have this outside perspective maybe hopefully coming back with some positive views and the whole thing and then um bring it bringing us in a new direction um yeah. do you yeah. talk i mean do you have friends peers that feel the same way that you do yeah for sure um yeah yeah, yeah oh. um you'd have to get into her right politics here <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> uh, an interesting and how i'm curious too i mean how do they like how does your community See you doing things like this like what um uh, yeah I, i don't know if they necessarily know about it um yeah. i mean it's sort of something i do in my spare time yeah privately. um i talk to some people about it um they find it interesting a bit strange <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't know yeah yeah but obviously it's not i mean <laughs> like you said they they seem to embrace technology it's not like it's not anything like Amish or anything like that so no um i think we are a bit too <laughs> the uh, the what's the word for the pe- person doesn't like technology uh the luddite the luddite in me thinks we're a bit too um eager to jump on the technology bandwagon mm. but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah my husband is funny we were talking we watched the documentary you sent mm. um and he he was like oh yeah i know all about heterites they're basically they're communists and i was like oh, i was horrified you know i was like they're oh yeah we're communists, communists. <laughs> <laughs> and then i heard you talking to someone i don't know and you're like basically we're communists i was like oh great <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> that, that would be, that would be a provocative thing to yeah. say to to some heterites who are more right wing they're like no we're not communists yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're basically communists. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, the difference that I that I pulled from the documentary was that you're allowed to leave. It's not like you're being forced to stay there. Is that? Yeah, yeah. I would. Yeah. Would you even do that? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the communist card is an interesting card to play when you're having political discussions. Um, yeah. You have someone from a how to write with a, like a right wing perspective, and then like you just put out the hey, we're actually communist pacifists, so you yeah. should be rethinking your political positions a bit here, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I always say we're like the, the 60s hippies, except with the, without the free sex and free, um, free drugs. Element of it. <laughs> See, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. <clears throat> ah, so, oh, here's another um, rabbit hole which sort of connects to everything. Uh -huh. um, did you see the article po I posted on the Discord on um, this guy who's who's gone without money um, uh -huh. and sort of adopted this um, life in the woods? sort of mm. without without um money he's just um sort of living off the land he's created his own little log cabin and he's sort of doing this mm. almost very like thing yeah i didn't know i didn't see it but mm. i guess one interesting angle for the, for for me is um how the social justice movement sort of has this emphasis on purity and this guy living in the woods without money, trying to um, leave as little an impact on the world as possible is sort of the logical outcome of that. Um, <laughs> where, where it's like, okay, um, our consumerism is having this global impact. Um, we are we are actually white supremacists because of our history. Um, what other kinds of things could you bring up? You know, our obsession with money is creating all kinds of e economic inequalities, and the logical outcome of that is sort of to to completely is it sort of has, it has this purity thing going on where how can I abstain from all of these things in such a way that I am absolved from the guilt as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And you could, I, I mean, and, and it's a, it's a tough thing to me to say for me to say, because I'm very attracted to that type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, but yeah. It's interesting how that goes. Yeah, it is. And I always wonder if I was actually doing it, would I be able to do it? I feel like it, it would take, I mean, like, That's I'd a, like to, th I'd like to think that I would be able to, and I, 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 I'm also drawn to that type of, type of life, but I don't know. I mean, I, we were watching this documentary about a little farm and, California it's called what's it called the the biggest little farm or something like that anyway these people bought this land and they decided that they're gonna 
live off the land. Not quite as isolated as in the woods, but um, you know, grow well, all their own food. Has, has neighbors apparently. I don't oh, know where, okay. where he is exactly, but yeah, yeah. So they go through this whole process of of actually they actually fundraised to start this project um, because they didn't have the money to buy the, the property. And they took this kind of scrub land. It was not the not the best farming land. And they, you know, their their idea was to go in and and turn it back into good land by with you know ethical farming practices and and whatnot. Yeah. And all their animals were free range. And you know, I mean, it, it was all the things all the things that you would want it to be. And as they go through the process, you just realize like the challenges that come with wanting to do that sort of thing. But at the same time, it's a really cool, I think it's a really neat balanced um, documentary because it shows like the, the bad side or the, the bad side, but the, the struggle that comes with wanting to do that sort of thing. But then it also shows how the struggle pushes them to be innovative in very, like they've set, it's like they've set these, these structures around this, so these rules, these walls of how they're going to how they're going to practice farming okay so it's it's very limited um very limited technology um as far as like inputs like it's or it's all organic it is um you know they're they're trying not to say even kill predators or pests um with with like chemicals or yeah. things like that so they have this kind of these these boundaries of like creativity, I guess. So within that structure, say, okay, so they had these slugs that were infesting their citrus trees and they probably could have sprayed something and it would have been a pretty easy fix. Um, and they, I mean, it completely ruined their crop. Like they had no crop because of these slugs. And it's like, okay, are we going to stick to these boundaries we put around ourselves? Or are we going to try and push and figure out how to deal with this in the way that we've, we've set this up? So what ended up happening, and the, the different stories like this happen kind of throughout the whole documentary. They had a bunch of ducks in a pond. And because the ducks had been multiplying and just kind of sitting in this one pond, the pond was turning toxic and it was killing all the fish because of all the duck like feces in this hmm. pond. <laughs> and so it's like, they're, you know, so they're trying to do everything natural and you think if you do it natural, things are just gonna flow. Well, it wasn't that way. But again, so they had these ducks, they had these slugs. They, because they had this structure placed around them, they said, they came up with the idea of putting the ducks in the citrus trees. The ducks ate all the slugs. And it got the ducks out of the pond where they were polluting the pond and <laughs> toxic. And the ducks ate all the slugs. So they didn't have to feed the ducks. The ducks also fertilized the area with like, you know, duck poop. Um, so I was just like, I was crying in this documentary. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> because I, you know, again, like I, I know that there, there are challenges to living that way. But at the same time, I'm like, don't you want to grow? Like, don't you want to change? Don't you want to learn how, how to um, innovate in a in a beautiful, productive way, and so I mean, I guess that's kind of my goal is like, what can I do on a small scale that that pushes me? Um, and I think that's we can even think of like boundaries. Like I'm on this farm within this technological system, the way it is. So those are my boundaries right now. Mm -hmm. So 
how can I find ways within that system to create that type of expression? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, they've got the ducks to eat the, the slots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I just lost my train of thought. I think my, my brain is um, made foggy by too much ice cream. So. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing, but I think, yeah, but, it, but now I think it is. Um, yeah. Well, we can segue and talk. I, sh I probably need to go in about, I don't know, for, for sure by five, but um, we could talk a little bit about ritual. Like we were. Oh yeah. I think that, that ties in. That ties in. Funny oh. thing, Julian, you were involved in one of my rituals. <laughs> oh, I was. <laughs> Don't take that clip out of context. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, I'll, I'll just kind of tell you a little bit about the story. Some of it, um, some of it you probably heard in, in the con my conversation with with Paul, um, which was not aired for those of you who are wondering if the, if you're listening and haven't seen it, it's because it's not out there. Um, if you want to see it, I'll send it to you. <laughs> but anyway, so I was listening to, and one of the things I'll explain in a minute, um, I was listening to Paul as I was walking, walking around my yard with my bare feet. And one of the first, I think you were probably one of the very first conversations that he had, like apparently, yeah. I just and so, went back to watch, um, went back and looked at his stream a, a while back, and it was like, you know, I'm actually one of the first ten, and that sounds a bit out of nature, but there I am, one of the first ten. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, so I just I have a very, a very vivid memory of listening to that first conversation. Because I was because I was participating in what I was participating in, it's like embodied in me. If I go on this one stretch of road up here, like I can, that conversation comes back to me. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, I, I've noticed things like that too. Where, yeah, yeah. Do you want, well, I mean, I remember cutting grass in the throughout the colony, and there's like when I hear certain songs, it suddenly transports me to a certain place in the community yeah. in my in my yeah. head I'm, I'm certainly in the west end somewhere yeah <laughs> it's very what, what is that right because it's like those memories you couldn't access you couldn't just access them unless they're triggered by it's whatever that it is. have you heard about the the whole idea of the mind palace mm. um, it sort of harnesses exactly this where you associate things you want to memorize with different locations in your house. Mm. And it, it, it sounds so weird until you connect it to experiences like this. Um, and I, I can see how it, how it would work where you, you sort of go to this spot physically and then you'll, you'll certainly remember what you were trying to mm -hmm. uh, hold fast to that spot. It's very mm -hmm. cool. Well, that's why in like education, especially uh, like child child education they'll tell you to have kids play with something with their hands or jump up and down while they're reciting their multiplication tables or whatever because that embodied action helps solidify it in your memory hmm. helps you recall it and you can even if you're having trouble recalling you can go back to whatever you were doing with your hands or with your body 
and those those memories um, the information will come back to you so it's definitely in the i mean it's it's being studied more and more i think um <clears throat> but my little ritual story i'll just tell this one um i mean i'm not going to summarize my whole background but but i was raised very you know just evangelical um a lot of emphasis on believing the right things um and i think you know it's it's again it's that whole growing up thing you start to just question everything and i went through a phase for sure where, where i just wanted to abandon it all because you you know you see the like you're saying you see the inconsistencies you see the things that don't work and um but then you start to mature and and um and whatnot but one thing that i really have noticed that um was lacking in at least the at least the like the, the quote institutions of evangelicalism is an emphasis on on what we do with our with our bodies and how that does affect how our knowledge and our knowledge of god in in, in general um and so that's why i think i think that's one one aspect of why peterson and his clean your room um idea is has been so powerful because it's it's making it's making people do something with their body that then affects how they how they know things i don't know it's it's tricky to try and explain with words it's like well okay i'll give this example um i was having trouble like i was saying integrating here feeling like an outsider feeling like a foreigner um and I, I it came to a point where um i was really feeling disconnected from my my husband's family and especially his father like we just never had we've never had a close relationship i think just the way we think is just so different that it was hard for us to to come up with anything in common well within a within about 6 months his mother and father passed away and and um his, my my mother-in-law's mother all passed away within about 6 months and i had distanced myself from my father-in-law such that like I, and i look back on it and i'm like how was i this removed and and i mean i'm a very emotional person so like for me i mean like i didn't even it was even hard for me to say something to him when his mother when his you know mother and father passed away like i i don't know it's hard to it's hard to understand looking back why you behave the way you behave sometimes but um anyway it came it came to the point where my husband came to me and was just like i don't know i i was just feeling really bitter and ungrateful i guess and he came to me and was like you know sarah what what is going on you know like dad talking about my father and like he doesn't even feel like you you see him when he comes in the room and like i mean like he would walk in the house and i would almost avoid having to interact because it was awkward you know because i felt like i had to be fake or come up with some conversation and i he's he's not a very emotional person he doesn't talk about feelings he doesn't talk about his past um and that's it's just challenging for me when someone is not open 
Um, and that's how I relate. And, but, but him saying that really struck me and it, it hit me in, you know, the yeah. place that the dark place that I didn't want to want to admit was there. And it was very good. Um, and that was kind of during this time when I'm, when I'm exploring, trying to figure out how to connect with this farm, because we moved into my in-laws house. It was her house. Like we moved in and there were her decorations on the wall, her wallpaper on, you know, in the kitchen. And, um, it's just like, this is, I'm, this is not, this is not mine, you know, but I made it just an intentional effort to, and this is, this kind of came through watching, watching Peterson as well. It's like, okay, what are some tiny, small steps that I can do to move in this direction that I want and you know, that I, I want, but I'm not feeling it. Like, I don't feel this. Um, and I just kind of remembered how I would connect with things in my past. And I was like, okay, well, it's spending time with them. How would I connect? How do I connect with my home in Texas? Like I spent a lot of time running around outside with my bare feet and getting, you know, getting my feet dirty and walking in the grass. So I was like, okay, like there were the, all these people that came before me that have lived in this area and they all have stories and they're all real people um, with struggles. And, um, and also my, my father-in-law's parents were um, just really dysfunctional. Like there was a lot of, um, you know, verbal abuse, if not physical abuse, just um, so some, some real tragic things occurred right here in this location. Um, and so my, my idea was, and it wasn't my idea, but coming from, you know, a lot of different, different um, things I'd been thinking about and listening to, which is like, okay, I'm going to ritualistically take my shoes off and just start walking in the yard. And so I, I started walking kind of this path that would go like behind the house, back around the trees, through the, through the uh, raspberry bush. And, you know, and, and I just, I followed this same, this same path, like over and over again. And I started, I even wore like a track in the, like you could see where it started to wear a path in the grass, like where I had been walking. And there were just so many things that happened during my, my participation in that because I was, I was doing it. It wasn't just like this dead ritual that I was doing for no reason. Like the purpose the purpose that I brought to it was I want to connect to this farm. Right. And it was almost like an ask and you shall receive type situation because I was just blown away like over and over again with these amazing revelations and realizations of, um, you know, my role in this, this story and how, you know, my father-in-law had been in a way kind of a, a Christ figure in his family because he had been, he had been the one who put an end to that abusive behavior. And through his, his parents dying, there, there came a point where he opened, he really opened up about his, his mother and his situation here and how he would be the protector to his young kids. When his father was going off the rails, he would take them and, and carry them in the next room because he was the oldest and just shelter them until until the fighting was over. And so all of those things, him opening up, me having, you know, gone through this kind of ritualistic walking um, in the backyard, it was like it just all of a sudden it just hit me and I had this openness towards him. And it was like a veil dropped and I saw him as this real person that I could connect to. And hmm. I won't 
I won't say that our relationship is perfect at this point, but it's tremendously changed since that moment. And also slowly, um, but significantly, my attitude towards this farm um, has has grown and developed and changed. And I had this this moment where I was walking, you know, one of the many moments, but this was probably the most significant one, where I was just walking back there. And I would just kind of let, I would either maybe listen to something, maybe just let my mind wander. Um, but at one point, like I was, I was hit with this, this, I mean, it really was the words that I feel like from God that's, <laughs> that just said, you know, I, I had this thought that being this outsider, this foreigner was this negative thing, but I was hit with the words, just, you are the outsider. And then it was almost like this floodgate opened up of the realization of how God has used biblically and throughout history, people coming in from, from the outside that are an element of restoration for that, that land or that community or whatever. And so it's just given me this, this perspective on my life and what my role is here in a positive way. It's like the same exact circumstances, the same um, you know, the same past, you know, everything, it's not like you can change what has come before you, but it's like moving into the future. I can see this, this path that has a, has um, me as a part of a bigger story that is redemption actually. And an interesting thing is, this is one of those, um, <laughs> those things that you're like, well, you know, does that, does that just happen? I don't know. Um, so my, my father-in-law, who is the, the, um, the heir of this farm, you know, the son, the, the one to inherit, you know, mm. um, in the, in the bloodline, his name actually means foreigner. Ah. And my name means like princess or heir to the throne. <laughs> And it's like, I, <laughs> I, <was> like, what? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just stuff like that that is, that has come again through the seemingly simple ritualistic obedience of like, just take your shoes off and walk in the freaking grass and do it over and over again, even when it <laughs> seems pointless. And, and again, that, you know, we could go down a whole, <laughs> a whole rabbit trail of things that have kind of come from that, but just, me, me trying to, trying to realize, okay, if that's given me this, this revelation of, of God and myself and this whole big picture, like what else is there? I mean, uh, it's happened again in little, you know, smaller circumstances, but, um, but yeah, that moment where I was hit with those words is like, I fell on the, I fell on my knees. I've never been overwhelmed with like in worship and gratitude to the point that I couldn't even stand. And I just, you know, I cried and I felt, I felt God's presence in that spot right out there in the backyard. I mean, that's, it's holy, it's sacred ground now. And that whole path, I mean, even my kids would come out, I'd be walking back there and they'd follow. And I'm like, following in your path, literally. And I can, I can tell them about this story, you know, it's just like, this is all such simple, literal stuff that we just disregard, Beautiful. you know? That's beautiful. Like, what else is there? <laughs> yeah, I've um, I've experienced something uh, similar, um, where I get I guess these experiences where I've um, 
you know when you sometimes you sort of know what the right thing is to do um but you just put off doing it for forever uh, maybe what i never do that <laughs> <laughs> but what i've experienced recently is just um to to just follow that that voice that's telling me to do what i know i'm supposed to do and mm-hmm. um you know if it's something like um one of the most beautiful experiences i've had recently is where i had this this issue with one of the people in the community and um what was the issue like um i was feeling bitter towards towards him for something he did and um i was talking about him behind his back and um just this bitterness and then i decided i'm just going to go have a conversation with this guy tell him how i feel tell him i've i've been bitter against you and uh just apologize from my side and then i i just i just felt like the the whole thing was stupid like why should i bother bother doing this it's not like i um like i did something wrong to it's not like i did something explicit it's not like i um yeah it just didn't seem like that big of a deal but i i just felt like this is something i need to do mm-hmm. and then when i actually decided to go apologize it was just this this beautiful moment of of reconciliation um it's it's just one of the most powerful things i've experienced recently where um i think you mentioned this in your conversation with paul it's sort of this this leap of faith this this going out this venturing into the unknown and that's how you find your place in the story i think is when you (laughs) yeah it's 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 when you follow the voice of god i guess Mm -hmm. so yeah i totally get it yep but the the ice cream is making me pretty inarticulate (laughs) so well i should probably I should probably get going and check on my children. Um, but I think we should maybe have another conversation where we dig into this a little more. Like, Oh yeah. We've talked about, you know, like Drew Johnson and Esther Meek and I've listened to a lot of their stuff and read a lot of their articles and listened to podcasts and it just resonates so deeply with me. And um, it, it and connects to, to a lot of a lot of different um, angles I've been coming, I've been coming at this. I mean, um, uh, James A.K. Smith with his uh, liturgies comes to mind. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, Stanley Harwas, um, someone I've been influenced by, who speaks of um, you know the church as a as a polis, and how you're you're shaped by the practices of the church to live into the story of the church. Yep. Um, just these types of things. So I I, I know exactly where. Esther and and John and Drew Johnson are coming from. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I'm in, I'm in a position as well where I have been, you know, bitten by the Orthodox bug. Like a lot of us, (laughs) a lot of us have been while digging into that and just discovering the richness of it. And at the same time, not in a position where I feel like that's where I'm supposed to be right now necessarily. So like, how do you, so 
how do you move forward then? And um, I think, I mean, like you said in one, one of your conversations, like, is that, the, is that to leave my tradition that I'm in and go to that, is that the Protestant thing you know, to yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. Is. is that the individualistic thing to do? And while for someone like you, I think I'm, I may have mentioned this in one message at one point, but it's like you, like for someone like you and for Paul, like you have a tradition that at least goes back a few generations. Like for me, my growing up years were just a hodgepodge of different evangelical, you know, segments that were very different from each other in a lot of ways. Um, the church where now I've never felt entirely connected to. Um, or like it was a home church, but there is the fact that we've been there for 12 years and my husband and I both have leadership positions there. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> bunch have, of closet Orthodox is running the Protestant yeah, church. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> but I'm like, because we do have that, that position, you know, what can, instead of just, you know, trying to blow the whole thing up, how can I play a role in, um, using the things that I've gained from learning about other Christian traditions, which I had no awareness of really before the last couple of years, honestly. Um, how can I use those things and integrate them in a way that is beneficial? And not just because, like, I don't want to do it just because it's, it seems new and different. And I've had to question my own motives a lot through the whole process. It's like, you know, why do I want to do these things? Why do I want to, everyone to study ritual and, and um, figure out why liturgy is so valuable. It's like, I don't know. It can just be to seem like you have, you have the answers or, you know, the, the fresh new idea out there, but um, deep inside, I think I just really want to know God and I want to give people a chance to participate in that as well. And I want to do it together in community. Um, so yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I often find myself sort of, um, you know, yeah, just um, I'll say one thing, and then when someone says the same thing, I'll sort of say the opposite. So here I go with the counter argument. Yeah, great. <laughs> I think I think we often tend to um, emphasize the lowest common denominator when it comes to Protestantism. Um, and maybe one way of sort of dealing with the orthodox bug would be sort of to dive into the um, deeper aspects of the Protestant tradition. Um, okay. You know, maybe reading people like Luther and Calvin, or um, you know, pe maybe the people like Mere Orthodoxy. Or, or do you follow Mere Orthodoxy at all? Like the yes, yes. And Alistair Roberts, I really appreciate him. Um, yeah, there's some, how much of his stuff? I, I love yeah. their podcast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The um, but mere fidelity. They have some. Yep. I yeah, I love the the podcast mm -hmm. more and more. Mm -hmm. The takes they have and everything is it's always quite good. Yep. Yeah, I think that's that's so true because in order to to say, you know, it's not like I want to turn our church into an Orthodox church. But it's like, I want to recognize the patterns of transformation that are being lost or that were thrown out just because they were just ritual or mm -hmm. um, dead liturgy, which a lot of people that came into evangelicalism left like the Catholic and Lutheran church, because it was, it was dead ritual that they, they didn't know what or why they were doing it. And that's just as 
destructive, I think, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, you probably also feel really alienated from maybe, I don't know what your, what your, what your, uh, what it's like in your church, but you probably feel alienated because not a lot of people sort of have the same appreciation for liturgy or, um, sort of recognize maybe problems with sola scriptura mm-hmm. or these types of things. Um, right. And you, um, another problem is often also the, the language that gets used just the, yeah, one often feels alienated from a certain type of a certain way of speaking mm-hmm. within Christian tribes. Um, mm-hmm. And I often find myself just discounting everything a person has to say because of the, the language tribe game that's going on. Yep. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why I really appreciated like Drew Johnson and Esther Meek because they're not, you know, they're, they are coming at it from a <clears throat> Protestant perspective and yet they're speaking these, these same truths that I, I feel like I've taken from what I've seen in Catholicism or Orthodoxy or whatever. Um, so it's like, if I bring a, and a Catholic notion to the people at my church, they're automatically going to reject it. Not mm-hmm. all of them, but there are some people who are going to, are going to. So it's almost like I have to be creative and approach these, you know, the patterns, the truths that I'm seeing that I'm, I have been missing in my life that have actually been impactful for me, but I have to figure out a way to bring them in through another door. And that I think adds, it actually adds to the richness of it because it's not like these truths. I don't, you know, I don't know. I go back and forth. Like, are they held? Are they just held within one tradition? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And if you did it, uh, yeah. And if you did (laughs) dive into Catholicism or whatever, could you actually sign into, um, what's going on in that tradition either. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Catholicism in particular, like, I don't know if I can ever be comfortable with the idea of the Pope or, um, uh, yeah, the, 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 the whole Catholic sex scandal is a big thing too. Yep. I, I think there should be some kind of, a. there should, there should actually be some moral questioning going on for someone wanting to join the Catholic church when you know there's that level of um, abuse going on, I think there should be sort of, okay, what am I actually signing up to? What is the, um, what's going on spiritually in this church, which, yeah, that's, that's one question I would have to ask, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's definitely complicated. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Well, I really you've got the you've got the farmer yup thing down though. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> How's the weather down in Texas? Uh-huh. Pretty good. Yep. <laughs> got some rain last week. How many yep. inches did you get? <laughs> we actually, it's actually raining right now, and oh, yeah. we're in the middle of harvesting, so it's not too good. Uh. <laughs> well. Sorry about that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Is that well, a thing you picked up from the from the farmer crowd, or have you always had the the yup thing going? Uh, I feel like that's kind of a Texas thing too. Oh, my, okay. My my parents say that a lot. 
I <laughs> I catch myself saying my vowels differently sometimes because of the accent up here. But, um, but yeah, we'd say, yep. <laughs> how are the vowels? I mean, what do you mean? Oh, they just change their their vowels like it's a lot of like oh sounds and ya sounds and um like they'll oh, this is the the german thing yeah okay yeah. the you know wow. have you ever, i don't know if you've ever seen the movie Far, fargo you know that sort of minnesota minnesota accent minnesota. <laughs> oh, okay yeah that sounds like yeah one 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 interesting thing with the the, the sort of the subculture with the Hutterites is there's different colonies that have different accents. Mm -hmm. so everyone will be making fun of, um, you know, there's this colony right next to us called Dana that has this really slow way of talking. And then people will go like, Oh, so the wait, how did this go? Like, they'll just say, Oh, the Dana people have come like, yeah. And then there's, um, there's this other colony that has this sort of really English way of talking. Um, It'll be like, so we come from Crystal Spring and, you know, <laughs> the weather's here kind of nice and we're going to go down to the lake and, yeah, we kind of talk in this English way that makes all of the Hutterites laugh at us, but we don't care because we're cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay. All right. Well. Good chat, yeah. and we will pick it back up. Let's do it. Okay. I have a lot that I think we can discuss. So, yeah, you have a great day, and it's good to finally, finally see you in person, kind of. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll not eat as much ice cream next time. Yeah. So. Oh, all right. Well, later. we'll talk to you later. Bye.